Well, good morning, church. So glad that you're here this morning. And who knew that it starts snowing right before second service, right? But man, it is uh, great to be a part of God's family and for to be in His church today. And uh, man, we are excited that you're here this morning. Here at Oakwood, we are a church that is growing to know, love, and live Jesus. And so uh, we're in a series right now in Daniel. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn there to uh, Daniel chapter 2, that would be awesome. Um, If you uh, didn't bring your Bible and you have your phone, your tablet, you want to follow along with that way, we encourage that. Uh, Not checking your fantasy football lineup because the season's over. which, by the way, I did get first in one league and second in another. But anyway, uh, but uh, we want you to get on there. Go to the Oakwood app and go to Sermon Notes, and all the notes will be there for you this morning. We just want you to engage the Word of God. Before I get going on that, just to reiterate something that Dalton was talking about, uh, Burley Men's Conference. Okay, this Friday and Saturday, we want you to be a part of that. We have already eclipsed the registration totals from the last time we did this in August of 22, so we're excited about that. But we have a lot of, uh, more uh, groups of people in uh, churches coming to it from outside of Enid. Let me share some of those with you. We have people, groups coming from Tuttle, Edmond, Cleveland, Oklahoma, uh, Weatherford, Clinton, Wellston, Luther, Yukon, Choctaw, Dover, and Oklahoma City. So. Uh, the problem is, guys, is those guys are going to outnumber Oakwood guys at the conference, and we're hosting it. So um, help us out. If you haven't signed up, today's the day to do it. It'll save you 15 bucks if you sign up by midnight tonight. So uh, Burley is this Friday, Saturday. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Uh, spiritually challenging, spiritually enriching, and rewarding. So be a part of that. As we uh, began this series last week, the, the, the sermon from last week, I got probably more comments on that than I have on a sermon in quite some time. Uh, emails, comments in the lobby, uh, Wednesday night I talked to some people, and I really appreciate that. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think that uh, I got such feedback because it was a great, great sermon, you know, one of the best you've ever preached or anything like that. I, I really think it's because the, the topic is so timely for us. Now, I know when you, when you read your Bible, you're like, Daniel, you know, that's like Old Testament, and that's not relevant for today, but you read that, and you read what uh, these young men are going through, and all that is happening in the world and in the culture at that time, and isn't it amazing how the applications, they're like written to us today. I mean, you're just reading Daniel, and you're like, wow, this is, this is like, you know, we're, we're reading things that just apply directly to what we're involved with, uh, directly where we're at in the world and in our culture today. So I, I just want to s- encourage you, allow God to speak through this series as we read and study the Word of God. And that's where we're going to begin this morning in Daniel chapter 2. And just a reminder, the, this series, what we're focused on is how do we stand up in a bowed down world? When the, when the culture and the world is compromising on every front and they want Christianity to be, to be silent and, and to also bow down with them, we are called to hold to our convictions, right? But Jesus in the Great Commission also says, I want you to reach these people. So how do we hold our convictions tight and honor God with our lives and yet not alienate the people that we're trying to reach? And a culture that, let's admit it, it's not only apathetic to the things of God, it is now, our culture is hostile to the things of God. So what are we to do as Christians? How are we to respond? There's so much wisdom in the book of Daniel, and that's why we're, we're studying this book together right now. So, And I know there were some great conversations that happened last week in, in growth groups. I heard about some of those, so we're just going to continue this morning. So Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, is where we're going to 
begin this morning. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Now, I'm going to call him Neb a lot today, just so we don't have to do Nebuchadnezzar every time. It's just a long name. Um, I'm not dogging it. If you named your little boy that, that's awesome. But uh, we're going to go with Neb uh, this morning. So in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Now, dreams back then meant something. A lot of times, God spoke to people through visions and dreams. And so he had this dream, and this dream was very troubling to him to the point now he doesn't want to sleep because this dream was serious. It was haunting Neb. And so verse 2, so the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in, they stood before the king, and he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Now, today, just for the sake of time, um, I'm not going to read every verse from chapter 2. I'm going to, there'll be a couple times where I do some summarizing. And so let me just tell you what happened. So basically, all of those uh, enchanters, magicians, sorcerers, and astrologers are saying, hey, we'll help you interpret your dream. You just tell us what the dream is, and we'll tell you what it means. But there's this twist in the next few verses. Neb decides, you know what? Just to check out the validity of you, you have to not only interpret the dream for me, you have to tell me what it is. I'm not going to tell you what the dream is and just let you interpret it. You have to know the dream and interpret it. And it causes this, this, this stir. It, it, it causes quite a, a reaction here because he not only wants it explained, he wants them to know what it is to kind of prove themselves. In verse uh, 5 and 6, he, he says that I want you to tell me what the dream is and interpret it. He says that to them twice. Now go down to verse 10. It says, the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, little g-gods, and they do not live amongst humans. Now this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all of the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Very, very interesting. There's, there's so many things that pop out in just this first, first part that we're reading here. I want you to note that Daniel and his friends were not hanging out with the magicians, the sorcerers, the enchanters, and the astrologers. Did you notice that in verse 13? It says they had to go out and they had to go find them. They, had, they went searching for them. Now, they are wise men of the king's court, just like the rest of them were, but they're not... They're not hanging out with those people. And I think it's good for us to note that Daniel and his friends did not dabble in the occult. They did not dwell amongst evil. If you're doing the Bible reading plan with us this year, uh, you kind of know from reading the story of Lot um, from, from the Bible reading last week is that you know, Lot pitched his tents amongst evil. And so uh, he was right next to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Sodom and Gomorrah had influence on him to where he and his family had to flee, and then his wife disobeyed the word of the Lord from, from the angel and turned around, became a pillar of salt. And if you know that whole story, there's this, there's this theme that sometimes even good people that are trying to follow the Lord can get sucked in if you allow too much darkness in your life. 
And I believe Daniel and his friends knew this, and that's why they weren't hanging out there. They had to go find them because they're not going to hang out with the magicians and the enchanters and all of that. Now, here's something that Neb learns from the very beginning. This is point one on your outline if you're taking notes or following along this morning. You cannot get the right answers by going to the wrong source. Okay, he wants an interpretation of this dream. He wants to know what it means because it's haunting him. He can't even sleep. Okay, it's, it's driving him to madness. And now he's threatening and saying, I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to kill all the wise men in the entire kingdom here. But he's looking for answers to his dream by going to astrologers and enchanters and magicians and those people. And Daniel and his friends obviously don't have a super close association with the enchanters and the magicians and the astrologers. But yet, they are lumped in to this execution order that they're all going to be killed because they can't interpret the king's dream. And once again, we see this theme throughout Daniel, that Daniel is enduring suffering for something that he didn't do. Remember how they got into exile? It was the generations before him. It was the kings before Daniel. Daniel's just a teenager. Most scholars believe somewhere between 14 and 15 years old. He and his friends are young teenage boys. They're exiled to Babylon because of what the people ahead of them did. What the generation ahead of them had done. And yet, he remains faithful to God through it all. Look how he responds when he gets this news of the execution. Verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. I think it's so interesting that the scripture gives us that. The writer here is wanting us to, to pay attention. That he didn't go whining, he didn't go complaining, he didn't go freaking out. Oh my goodness, you know, what's going on? What's going to happen? Oh, you know, he didn't escalate. He just... He says that he approached Arioch with wisdom and tact. Verse 15. He asked the king's officer, Daniel asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Help me to understand this. And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. This is something that we talked a little bit about last week, but I think it bears repeating. A wise appeal with wisdom and tact can produce good results in dire situations. A wise appeal with wisdom and tact can produce good results in dire situations. Maybe you have found yourself in one of those situations before. And because the situation was so dire that you reacted you weren't proactive, you weren't planning, you weren't even really well thought out. You just reacted to the circumstances of what was going on to you or around you. And yet it was noted in these verses that Daniel made this wise appeal. And, and he made it to Arioch to listen to why the king was demanding this. And then he makes it again to the king himself. Very interesting to me. He, he didn't give the king or Arioch some verbose action plan. Because he just found out about it. He didn't, he didn't sit there and try to come up with what he was going to do. He just simply asked for one thing. What did he ask for when he went to the king? He said, time. I want some time. Let me see. Give me some time, please, sir. Respectfully, he went to him. 
to see if I can interpret this dream for you. And what was Daniel going to do with this time? Continue on, verse 17. It says, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So just a refresher on last week, these are the Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are the Hebrew names for what we would come later to know from reading this book and from the stories is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Rack, Shack, and Benny, if you're a VeggieTales fan, right? All the VeggieTale people got that, and everyone else is like, what is a VeggieTale? <laughs> Vegetables had tails or anything? Yeah, go, go watch it. It's great, great stuff. But Rack, Shack, and Benny, uh, they're going to be a part of the story in the chapters to come. They're going to have the, some of their own situations and circumstances, but that's who these characters are there in verse 17. So Daniel returned to the house. He explained the matter to these friends, to these Hebrew boys, and listen to this in verse 18. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, the dreams, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon, so that they would be saved. The rest of the wise men of Babylon could go. They would be saved. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. What did he ask for time for? He asked for time to go pray to God, to get with his friends and to get before God. Here, here's, a, here's a good lesson here for us. We should pray with friends as our first response rather than our last resort. We should get together and pray with friends as our first response rather than our last resort. When life comes your way. When the circumstances come that are so overwhelming to you, I always like to think of it this way. Sometimes we need Jesus with skin on. Sometimes we need some friends. We need some Christian friends that we can go to that will pray for us, that will pray with us, that are like-minded and moving in the direction of God. And this is why I love growth groups here at Oakwood so much. Because there's going to come a time in your life where you are going to need each other. Here's the truth. There will be a time in your Babylon experience where you will need to get together with some friends and get with your God. It's exactly what Daniel did here. He got with his friends and they got before the Lord. Because they knew there's nothing that we can do in the flesh to change these circumstances. This king is so haunted by these dreams, he's ticked off. He's saying, I'm going to kill them all. And you Hebrew boys, you, you may not be hanging out with them in the court, but you're part of the wise men of my court. All of you are going to be wiped out if you can't not only, not only interpret the dream, you have to tell me what the dream is so I know you're legit. And so many... I mean, you remember what we read earlier. So many of the court's magicians and chanters like, that is impossible. No one will ever be able to, to, to do such a thing. And yet that was what the king was requiring. It's a reminder to us in verses 17 through 19 that there is power in prayer. There is power in going before the Lord and seeking the wisdom and the counsel of the Lord. You're going to the master of the universe, folks. So many of us, we're happy to go to earthly people for advice. How about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of all time? Let's continue. 
and pick up back there in verse 19. So it said, during the night, the mystery of the dream of Neb was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said this. This is so awesome. You're getting to read a prayer and praise time of Daniel to God. There, beginning there in verse 20. He said this. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Amen, Daniel. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. You see, he first goes to God. And then he goes to Neb. We need to go to God first too. You know, I know the situation is dire and he's just gone to Neb and said, hey, can I have some time here? But before he goes to that, because I'm thinking if your life is on the line, you might want to go, you know, hey, I know the mystery. God revealed it to me. Hey, I want you to know, Neb, I got it. I got it all figured out. You know, save your life first and then praise and prayer time later. No, no, no. Daniel puts it in order of priority here. He's like, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to praise and pray to the Lord. And I'm going to offer my praise time before I go to the king because God is always the priority in Daniel's life. It's God first and the rest details. It's first God and then blank. Then everything else in life. It's a good lesson for us here in this. That a pause for praise in the middle of life situations has a centering effect for believers. It has this centering effect because we can get so bogged down in the circumstances, right? So overwhelmed with what's coming against us, so stressed out by the health concerns and, and the bills that are coming and the, what's happening at our job or we don't have a job anymore or the car broke down and then the other car broke down and the house broke down and the relationships that I have in my life are breaking down and the family is strained and all of this stuff and we focus on that more than we focus on God. And sometimes it's great for us to remember to praise God in the middle of it all. That's why I love the book of Psalms so much. I love Psalm 46. I love the Psalms because it tells us. It's like telling us who God is and what he has done. It's a reminder to reflect on who he is and all that he has done. Now, you can reflect on that personally in your own life like Daniel did here. You can also look back at Scripture. That's the gift of God to all of us is this word of God. That we look back and we see all that God has done. We're like, wow. And it builds in us faith and assurance that God is who he says he is and that he can do all he's promised to do. And that we're going to hang our life on those facts and not on anything else in this world. I think that's why Daniel, in the middle of this, we get this prayer. I'm like, go to Neb, make sure you're safe, that he doesn't come kill you. But he says, no, God first. God first and then everything else. Well, let's read uh, what happens there in, in the next verse, verse 24. It says, Then Daniel went to, to Arioch. Remember, Arioch was the commander of the king's guard. He was the one that was appointed to kill all the wise men. So Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. 
Something very, very interesting in verse 24. I read this several times and it didn't jump out at me until like later. I don't know if it jumped out to you, but read verse 24 again. It says, Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. All of them? Because look over back in verse 18. In verse 18, he had urged his friends in their prayer for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And I'm thinking, uh-huh, that's a great idea. The rest of them can get executed, all the magicians, the sorcerers, and all of them. We'll live, they'll die, it'll be good, it'll be good for us, you know, probably politically and for our careers. And so, but look what Daniel does in verse 24. He tells Arioch, do not execute the wise men, all of them, of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. It's just amazing to me that Daniel does this. That Daniel is, Daniel's holding to his convictions without holding contempt for the rampant paganism and evil and darkness and cult practices in the culture. To the point, he's actually going to save all of the enchanters, the astrologers, and all those people in Babylon if he can make good and interpret this dream. And you have to stand back and wonder why. And I think Daniel really understood that this is about God and God's will and not my will. Because in the flesh, do you think he wanted those guys gone? Absolutely. Do you want to see the enemies of God defeated? Absolutely. And yet in our Great Commission marching orders, Jesus says, make disciples of all of them. Jesus challenges Christians with, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are far off from me. Try to reach them for me. It goes against our instincts and our flesh nature, but this is the grace and the love of God for all mankind, even the ones that are far off, even the ones that are off the deep end, even the ones that are walking in darkness. I know I, sometimes I don't like it myself, but I felt like Daniel has maturity here to understand this. In the middle of this, he could have taken a swipe and said, kill the wise men, go with the Hebrew boys, right? But he didn't. He didn't. And I wonder if maybe it was because Daniel also had humility. I wonder if it's because Daniel knows that any of the insights he has into dream interpretation did not make him far superior to all the other wise men of the court. Because the only reason he had that knowledge was because he was closer to God than they were. He had a relationship with God that all the magicians and enchanters and all of them, the astrologers, all of them didn't have that. That was his advantage was God. It wasn't that he was, you know, I'm intellectually better than you or anything like that. He was just God. God. God is the difference for Daniel. And what's interesting about Daniel is that Daniel is going to serve God in Babylon, and he's going to serve Babylon for God. Because he's faithful. And because he trusts the Lord. He's going to serve his God in Babylon, and he's going to serve Babylon like he's asked to, but he's going to do it for God. Watch how this plays out. Verse 25. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once. 
and said, I have found a man amongst the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Now, what else was he supposed to know? What the dream was, right? So it's not just about what it means at this point. It's about what is my dream? That is the trick question, verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar. Remember, that was his Babylonian name that was given him. Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But, check this out, folks, but there is a God, capital G, in heaven. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Let that sink in, in this moment. He's before the king. The king wants to kill everyone. He's ticked off. He's agitated. He's not sleeping. He is haunted by this dream. And Daniel comes to him and says, hey, no wise men, enchanter, magician, diviner can explain this to the king, this mystery. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. And then what Daniel does is he goes and he begins to unpack what the, what the dream is. And then interprets it a little bit later. I want you to notice what Daniel does here. Though right in the moment, right before the king, and we need to do this sometimes, is focus on the greatness and the glory and the wisdom and the power of God in every circumstance. I know it's a run-on sentence, but I wrote it on purpose, okay? Focus on the greatness and the glory and the wisdom and the power of God in every circumstance. Even when I'm standing before the king, he's wanting to kill me. and Yeah. Because Daniel is pointing back to God, immediately says, hey, I know what you want, and you think that man can do this for you, but it's something only God can do. And hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I know no one can interpret this, but there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. Big G God, real God that reveals mysteries, and let me show you what I know that you don't think I know. And in the next several verses, he begins to interpret the dream. You won't survive in Babylon by focusing on the wickedness and the sinfulness and the depravity of Babylon. Sometimes survival in Babylon is by focusing on the greatness and the glory and the wisdom and the power of God. Sometimes we've got to shift our focus. Let's continue on in the story, verse 31. Your majesty, this, and this is Daniel talking to King Neb, and this is his response. He says, your majesty looked, and there before you stood this large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands, not like something a man could cut out. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them, and then check out what happens. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. Now, sometimes, you know, we're like chaff. You know, what, what, what is that? We don't deal with chaff a lot. Okay, it's like a super fine dust. So the gold, the silver, the iron, the clay, all becomes like a super 
super fine dust. And it says, on, on, like on the threshing floor in the summer, and then what happens? You read the next part of the verse. It says, the wind swept them away, leaving them without a trace. So that statue is gone, annihilated, like dust, blown away, nothing. But the rock, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain, and it filled the whole earth. Now, many of you that have been exposed to Daniel, you might know this. And I'm going to show you a picture here on the screen. And you may have seen one of these or maybe one in your Bible. There's so many different interpretations of this statue, especially when you get down to the feet, that it was part, part iron and part clay. And you get all these interpretations of the toes. And each toe was one of the nations in Europe and France. I mean, there's all this theory. But, but you stick to the main thing of this, what we know, and it makes a lot of sense. The gold represented Babylon, which is what we're doing right here. And we're in the 590s here in, in Daniel. And that represented Babylon. They were the, the kings of the world, the top dogs. That's their timeline, 605 to 539 B.C. And then here comes Persia. Persia comes in. That's the silver represented by the silver in his dream. They come in 539 to 333 B.C. And you'll notice that starting with Persia, Greece, and Rome, it's all about 200-year spans, okay? So silver, uh, Persia, 539, 333. Then it goes to bronze, which was Greece when the Greeks came in, Hellenization, all that was going on with that, 333 to 31 BC. Again, about 200 years. And then iron, uh, clay is, is Roman Empire, 31 BC to about 325 AD. And then it talks about the, the rock. And, and here in this illustration, it says that Jesus is the bedrock that came in, that hit the feet, that made the thing collapse. We'll talk about that um, here in a little bit. But there's all these kinds of interpretations. But Daniel goes to Neb here and says, these represent the kingdoms of the world. And here's the main message. I'm just going to summarize the main message of what Daniel is telling Neb through this vision, through this dream interpretation, and what all those verses in the chapter we're talking about. He basically says this to them. You are building a massive empire that will not last. And then Persia is going to come and build a massive empire that will not last. And then another kingdom is going to come and build a massive empire. The Greeks are going to come. The Romans are going to come, and all of these kingdoms will not last. Neb, you are a part of the statue, but you are not the rock. Now, you think about that. That's pretty bold. I'm thinking, if you're going to interpret the dream, and he's already taken, he wants to kill the wise men, give him good results here, right? You know? I mean, give him some hope or something. No. He speaks the truth. He says, you are not the rock. You're building these kingdoms. I wonder if that's the story of some of us building these kingdoms, right? These kingdoms of the world and worldliness. Isn't it interesting by that, and even throughout history, kingdoms about 200 years? United States, 1776, 1976. And they start to decline. Let's read on, Daniel 42, uh, verse 44. So he's, he's basically told King Neb the dream. He's now interpreted the dream that it represents these kingdoms. And then he gets down to verse 44 and listen to what he says. Daniel's still talking to Neb here. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. A forever kingdom? Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all of those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Wow. I want to be a part of that kingdom. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. 
A rock that broke the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God, big G God, has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. You see, Daniel says here, there is a kingdom coming that will never end. Daniel's prophesying what an angel would say to Mary. We just studied this at Christmas. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. Do you remember this? Angel talking to Mary and says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's talking about Daniel Chapter 2, and this rock that comes in. Three quick reminders today to help us in Babylon. First one's this. Real faith is not fully developed until it's tested. We need to understand this as Christians. Real faith doesn't develop fully until it's tested. Faith in a vacuum where it's easy and we're skimming through the Christian fields and smelling the flowers and the daisies and, and we're speaking Christianese and it's all wonderful and easy. The easy walk with Jesus doesn't develop our faith fully. Look what it says in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, all the junk in life that you don't like, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Teaching you to stand. Second thing is the future is not for earthly kings to determine. Can you get an amen on that? The future is not for earthly kings to determine. Not dictators, not presidents, nor anyone that's ruling a country right now. They're always trying to navigate for the future. To what? To be in charge in the future. They want to be in charge in the future. And I know it's an election year here in the United States of America or Babylon, depending on how you look at it. It's an election year. Heard someone say just recently, the future is up for grabs. Folks, that is not true. God has a firm grasp on the future, and he can handle it. Thank you very much. And I think sometimes as Christians, we have a hard time in our witness to the people we're trying to reach when we get more concerned and focused on the statue more than the rock. Now hang with me here for a moment. We are more worried about the kingdoms of this world, represented by the statue in Daniel's case, than we are about the rock of ages that is the cornerstone that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when we're out there posting and conversations and it's all about, you know, political and the government and, and all of those things that we get so bent out of shape, I think sometimes it's hard to receive our witness I feel like we have compromised sometimes so much because we fret so much about the statue instead of fretting about the kingdom of God and the rock and what he wants. Sometimes I think our friends don't want to listen to us talk about the rock because we're always talking about the statue. In fact, sometimes the way we live our lives looks a lot like we're pursuing the statue and not the things of the rock. This is an election year. And I believe we should do our civic duty as good citizens of the country you're living in to vote. 
And devote with your conscience. Devote the way God, in a way that would please and honor God. But please, 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 this election year, don't lose your hope, your joy, or your courage because of the statue. And because you're caught up in just the things of the statue and you forget about the rock. The rock is a forever kingdom. The statue are kingdoms that are going to fade away and they won't matter. Hebrews 12, 28 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Why? Because the kingdom that is forever, the rock kingdom, is unshakable and it will go for eternity. So last thing to help us in Babylon, remember this, the kingdom of God rocks on and we can too, even in Babylon. Have hope because of the rock. Oh, you want to hear what happened to Daniel? Well, read verse 46. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate, that's on his face, before Daniel and paid him honor and offered an offering and incense be, to be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery to me. And then... The king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge over all of its wise men. Now Daniel's large and in charge. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Why? How is this even possible? They're going to be killed. It's because these boys were focused on the rock. They weren't going to bow down to any statue. They weren't going to be worried and consumed with the statue. I think that's the challenge for us today, folks. Don't be so focused on the statue and the kingdoms and the pursuits of this world that you takes, it takes your focus off of the rock. I know this world is vying for your attention. But Jesus should have it fully because of the sacrifice he made. And because the Bible, even through all of this prophetic literature, is pointing to Jesus all the time. You know who the rock is that hits the feet, that crumbles and makes everything dust? It's Jesus, the rock of ages, the cornerstone on which we are called to build our lives. Are you a part of the forever kingdom? Or are you only a part of the kingdoms of this world that will fade away? We all have a choice. And I'm praying for you that you'll make the choice to build your life on the rock.